Masachas Sukkah Parag Gimel Mishnah Yud Beis until Parag Gimel Mishnah Tesvav. Barishayna originally Haya Lulav Nital the Lulav, which is really referring over here to all of the Arameinim. They were taken and shaken by Mikdash in the Beis Hamikdash Shiva for all seven days of Sukkot. So the first day of Yom Tov plus the six days of Cholamoid after that. Not Shemini Atzeres, that's not considered part of Sukkot, at least with regards to the Arameinim. But for all of the days of Sukkot itself, the Lulav was taken, and this was considered to be a mitzvah mid for all seven days of Sukkot. The Torah, when talking about the Arameinim, says, you should rejoice in front of Hashem, your God, for seven days. Now, on the other hand, the Pesach also says, You should take for yourself on the first day of Sukkot, and it goes on to describe the Araminim. So is the mitzvah for all seven days of Sukkot, or is the mitzvah only on the first day? So the clue is in the word, Lifnei Hashem. When it talks about rejoicing in front of Hashem for seven days, what exactly is in front of Hashem? So in location, that refers to the Beis HaMikdash. So the obligation of the Araminim in the Beis HaMikdash applies for all seven days. Uvamadina, but in the rest of the country, which according to most Mepharshim refers to anywhere outside of the Beis HaMikdash, Yom Echad, it only applies on the first day of Sukkot. As the Pesach says, You should take for yourselves on the first day of Sukkot. That is referring to outside of the Beit HaMikdash. There are those who learn that the entire Yerushalayim is considered to be Lifnei Hashem in front of Hashem. And as such, there is a mitzvah mid for all seven days of Sukkot inside of Yerushalayim to shake the Abraminim. However, most of the do learn that Yerushalayim is considered like the rest of the country, and as such, there is a mitzvah only on the first day of Sukkot. So whilst the Beit HaMikdash was standing, that's exactly what was done. Outside of the Beit HaMikdash, or outside of Yerushalayim, according to those Mepharshim, the Lulav and the Araminim were only taken and shaken on the first day of Sukkot. However, Mishachar Beit HaMikdash, once the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, Hiskin Rebunechim ben Zakkai, Rebunechim Zakkai decreed, he instituted, he was alive at the time of the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, and he instituted that the Lulav and the Araminim should be taken and shaken in the entire country and everywhere in the world, even outside of the Beis HaMikdash, for all seven days of Sukkot. Why? Because of the concept of as a remembrance of what they did in the Beis HaMikdash, which is a way of showing our anticipation for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. That we're keeping the mitzvahs which only applied in the Beis HaMikdash because we so much want the Beis HaMikdash and we are yearning for it and therefore he instituted that the Lulav and Armin would be taken for all the days of Sukkot. Now whilst we're on the subject of Zechel HaMikdash, the Mishnah adds, V'sheyeheyim honev kule asur. He also instituted that the day of the waving of the Korban Oimer would be totally forbidden. Now what exactly does that mean? So the halacha is that Chodosh, which refers to new produce, new grain, which grew that year, since the last Pesach. And the halacha is that new grain can never be eaten until the Korban Oimer on the second day of Pesach is offered. Once that is offered, then one is allowed to eat any grain which grew that year. Now before offering the Korban Oimer, which was made up of barley, they would wave the barley in the air. And so the second day of Pesach, which is when the Korban Oimer was brought, that became known as Yom Honeth, the day of waving, referring to the waving of the Korban Oimer. Be as it may, as soon as the Korban Oimer was offered, then one was allowed to eat the new grain. Now those living very far away from the Beit HaMikdash, how did they know when the Korban Oimer had been bought? So it had to be bought on the second day of Pesach, and the Mishnah Menachah says that they're allowed to assume that from midday onwards, the Korban had definitely been bought. 
And so it was permitted in those areas to eat the chodosh, to eat the new grain from chatzais, from midday on the second day of Pesach. And once the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, Dominion ben Zakkai was concerned for the following possibility, that the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt on the night of the second day of Pesach. Which would mean that by the time, by they, they have it only until the end of that day, until the end of the second day of Pesach, to bring the carbon Omer. Now there are lots of processes which are needed before bringing the carbon Omer. It has to be cut from the ground in a special way. There are lots of things which need to be done. And they would not necessarily manage to offer the carbon Omer by midday on the second day of Pesach. It might take only until the end of that day. Sort of just before the evening time on the second day of Pesach. And once the Bishamikdash is around, when there's no Bishamikdash, so it's permitted, as soon as it gets light on the morning of the second day of Pesach, it's permitted Midoraisa to eat the new grain. But when there is a Bishamikdash, so then only once the Korban has been bought, only then can the Chodosh be eaten. And since if the third Bishamikdash would be rebuilt on the, th- on the night of the second day of Pesach, so it would be very unlikely to bring the Omer to offer it up by midday of the second day of Pesach, but people having eaten the Chodosh for so many years without a Beit HaMikdash, from the beginning of that day, would end up doing the same, even once the Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt. Or even if they remember that they have to wait until after midday. So they, they would wait until after midday, but in this case, that wouldn't be good enough. And so Rehoboam and Zakai, out of concern that this would occur, said that even without a Beit HaMikdash, it's forbidden to eat the Chodosh the entire day of the second day of Pesach, so that if the Bishamikdash is rebuilt very quickly, and the Korban Omer has to be brought very quickly, so people would not make the mistake of eating the Chodosh before the actual Korban Omer is offered. Mishud Gimel. Strictly speaking, there is nothing wrong with shaking a lulav and the Abraminim on Shabbos. You don't violate any Shabbos transgression. However, Midrabonon, one is forbidden to shake the Abraminim on a Shabbos out of fear that somebody might end up carrying the lulav and the Abraminim through a Roshus Horabim a public domain, where it is forbidden to carry there on Shabbos, but a person, if he needs to shake the lulav, and he might not necessarily know how exactly to fulfill the mitzvah of the Abraminim, so he might end up taking the lulav to go and ask somebody, and he'll end up carrying it through Eoshos HaRabim. And so, so that that doesn't come to be a situation, the Rabbanon said that if a day of Sukkot falls on Shabbos, then there is no mitzvah to shake the Abraminim. Now we're going to see that they said this even in the Beis HaMikdosh. We learned that in the Beis HaMikdosh, the mitzvah of Abraminim applied for all seven days of Sukkot. But if any of those days fell on Shabbos, except for the first day as we will see, but if any of the other days fell on Shabbos, even though it's a mitzvah mid the the Rabbanon still said that one should not, and is not allowed, to shake the lulav on that day. The Chachonim have the right to go against the Torah if it's Shev al which means that one is passive, he doesn't do something. They're not allowed to say, do something which the Torah says you can't do. However, the Chachonim do have the power to say that even though the Torah said that you do need to do something, the Chachonim can say, don't do it. So you're not doing an action, but you're not doing something which the Torah said. So the Chachom have the power to do that, and so even in the Beis Hamikdash, where the mitzvah applies for the entire days of Sukkot, the Rabban said that on Shabbos, one does not shake the Araminim. However, Yom Tevorishin Shelechog Shecholios by Shabbos, if the first day of Sukkot fell on Shabbos, then the mitzvah does apply, both in the Beis Hamikdash and outside of the Beis Hamikdash, since it's clear that the mitzvah of shaking the Araminim on the first day of Sukkot is a more significant mitzvah, it applies even outside of the Beis Hamikdash. So since the Torah sort of emphasized this part of the mitzvah more, so the Rabbanon did not ban the Lulav and Abraminim on the first day of Sukkot, only on the rest of the days of Sukkot. However, if it did apply on the first day of Sukkot, how would they get around the problem of having to take the Lulav through Shusarabim? 
So they would make sure that all of the people would bring their lulavim and all of the araminim to the shul which they would daven at on Shabbos, but they would bring these before Shabbos began, on Friday, and then Lamochras the next day, Shabbos morning, they would get up early, they would come to the shul, and each person would recognize which one was his lulav, the nightly, and he would take that lulav specifically and fulfill his mitzvah with that lulav specifically. Now, why does it have to be that he fulfills the mitzvah with that specific lulav? What's so terrible if he takes somebody else's lulav? Because the Chachomim said, and the truth is, this is Mid Arais, or the Chachomim learnt this from the Torah, that beyond the Rishon Shalachal, that a person cannot fulfill his obligation of the Abraminim on the first day of Sukkot, with somebody else's lulav, or somebody else's Abraminim. The Torah says, You should take for yourselves on the first day of Sukkot, and we learn from there that it has to be your own. Lochem, yours, and not somebody else's. However, that posuk is referring to the obligation which applies on the first day of Sukkot. The obligation which applies in the Bet Hamikdash for all of the days of Sukkot, that's learned from a different posuk, and the posuk over there does not say Lochem, and therefore, Sha'arimei Sachag, the rest of the days of Sukkot, a person can fulfill his obligation with somebody else's Luluv and Araminim. Now, it should be noted that once the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, even if Shabbos falls on the first day of Sukkot, the Araminim are not sh- shaken, Midrabonon, reason being that in areas which are far away from Yerushalayim, or nowadays the custom is areas which are outside of Eretz Yisrael, outside of Israel, keep two days yomtev, because they are not sure when exactly is the first day of Sukkot. So if the first day of Sukkot is a Shabbos, it might not be the first day in areas which are outside of Eretz Yisrael, they don't know. And so they have not got the right to carry the Araminim, because it might not actually be the first day of Sukkot. And once Rabbonin said that in Chutz Aretz, outside of Eretz Yisrael, the mitzvah does not apply, so they said that the same thing everywhere, that the mitzvah of Araminim does not apply even on the first day of Sukkot, if it falls on Shabbos. Mr. Yudalit, in a number of places in Shas, Rabbi Yezun and Rabbi Yeshua argue about a concept known as Torbidvar Mitzvah v'Osa Mitzvah. If somebody makes a mistake whilst doing a mitzvah, and the action of doing the mitzvah turns out to also be an Avera. According to Beliezer, even though the Avera was only because of the mitzvah, and it was exactly the same action of the mitzvah, nevertheless, you did an Avera and therefore you would be Chayev. On the other hand, Rabbi Yeshua holds that since the action itself of the mitzvah is the Avera, so the only reason why you violated the Avera was because of the mitzvah. And so you would not be chayev, for example, a korban for mistakenly having violated an avera. Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah takes this a step further, and he holds that even if the action of the mitzvah is not the exact same action as the avera, however, the avera was only done because of the mitzvah, sort of as a preparation for the mitzvah. So even in that case, Rabbi Yossi holds that he will be exempt. So he's even more lenient than Rabbi Yeshua. He holds that even if the Aveira was only done as a preparation for the mitzvah, the mitzvah itself exempts him from having violated the Aveira. Rabbi Yisrael says, The first day of Sukkot, if it fell on Shabbos, and therefore during the times of the base Hamikdash, one was obligated to shake the Lulav, and somebody forgot and mistakenly took out his Lulav and his Arba Minim into a public domain, so he transported something from a private domain into a public domain. 
that is forbidden with the Eraisa on Shabbos. Nevertheless, since he was doing it in preparation for a mitzvah, Potter here is exempt, because he took it out with permission, as it were. Now, of course, ideally he is forbidden to do so, but the point is, since there is a mitzvah on the first day of Sukkot, despite the concern that people might take it out into Rishus Harabim, Srebiyasi holds that he is exempt, since he only violated the Avera as a result of being involved in the mitzvah. It should be noted, we have mentioned before, that Mida Arisa, in order to fulfill the obligation of Araminim, one doesn't need to shake it at all, all one needs to do is pick it up. As soon as you've taken it into your hands, you fulfill the obligation. Mida you should shake it as well. That's how you should fulfill the mitzvah. But Mida Arisa, as soon as you've taken it, you fulfill the mitzvah. So it seems a bit strange in this Mishnah that carrying it into a public domain is considered to be part of the mitzvah, preparation for the mitzvah. But he already fulfilled the mitzvah. As soon as he lifted it up, he fulfilled the mitzvah mid So since he is no longer preparing for the mitzvah by carrying it into Rosh Harabim, he's already fulfilled the mitzvah, he should be chayev. So the Gemara answers that it must be that he picked it up in a certain way that he wouldn't have actually fulfilled the obligation. For example, if he picked it up upside down to fulfill the obligation, even mid you have to pick it up in its regular direction. So it must be that he picked it up in, a, in the wrong way, such that he has not yet fulfilled the mitzvah. This could very well be the source for our minhag to hold the esrug upside down when making the bracha, so that only after we make the bracha we actually fulfill the obligation by turning over the esrug so it is the right direction. Mr. Tesvov, as is well known, women are exempt from a mitzvah saseisha's mangarama, a positive mitzvah to do something which is bound to a specific time, for example, shaking the araminim. That's only a mitzvah for seven days of sukkahs during the day, and so certainly women are exempt from that mitzvah. Now, something which somebody has no use from is considered muktza on Shabbos and Yom Tov, and as such, one is not allowed to move it at all. Midrabonon, that is the prohibition of muktza. Now, since women are not obligated in the mitzvah araminim, and the only real use of the araminim is to shake them and to fulfill the mitzvah with them, so I may have thought that for a woman it's considered muktza and it is forbidden for her to move it. But the Mishnah says that is not the case. Mikabeles isham yad benom yad baila. A woman can receive, she, she can take the Arbaminim from her son or from her husband, and she can take it and put it back into the water on Shabbos. And really the Mishnah is teaching us two separate halachas. Number one, it's teaching us the fact that it's not considered muktza for the woman as well. The reason being that if something is useful for other people, so it's not considered to be muktza for anybody. There are certain types of muktza. For example, if something is considered to be extra valuable to a particular person, so then we start saying that for a particular person it is mukta, but for others it's not mukta. However, with this type of mukta, and indeed for most types of mukta, if it is considered useful for somebody else, then it's not considered to be mukta for anybody. So anybody is allowed to move it. As well as that, over here, there is an additional reason, because a woman, even though she's not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah, she is allowed to do so if she wants to. And therefore it is considered to be useful for her, she can fulfill the mitzvah if she wants to, and therefore it is not mukta for that reason as well. Now the Mishnah is also showing us that it is permitted to put it back into water. We are not concerned that if you start putting these things back into water, then you might come to water your garden or water a field. There is a very clear difference. This is already cut from the ground. Here you are just preserving it in its fresh state, and so this will not lead somebody to water the ground properly, which would of course be forbidden. Now it's important to note that all of this is referring to the Beit HaMikdash's time, when there is a mitzvah of Lulav even on Shabbos. But nowadays that there is never a mitzvah of Araminim on Shabbos, they are considered to be mukta for everybody, and certainly it will be forbidden to move them.
Rabbi Yehuda, Yehuda says, he's either arguing or possibly just adding on to the Tanakhama and explaining that it's specifically by Shabbos Machzirin. Specifically on Shabbos, all one is allowed to do is return the Araminim back into the water which they had been in before you took them out. But by Yomtev on Yomtev, where the halachas are slightly more lenient, Mosifin, one is allowed to add water. He can't totally change over the water, but he can add more fresh water as well as the old water. Uva Moyed. And on Cholam Moyed, Machlifen, he can even switch the water totally, pour out that water and fill it out with new fresh water, and then put the Araminim into it. The reason why one cannot do that on Yomtev is because it's considered quite hard work, which should be avoided on Shabbos and Yom Tov. The mission now ends off with the minimum age at which one should start to educate his children in the mitzvah of Araminim. Just like pretty much all mitzvahs a child needs to do, and parents need to educate their children to do it before they are Barabbas mitzvah. So what is the minimum age for a luluv? A child who knows how to shake the luluv, how to do it in all different directions. So from that age, he's obligated to shake the luluv and Araminim, and that is more of a mitzvah on the parents, as the mitzvah of chinuch, to educate their children.